Success in combating a new virus depends on tracking viral spread rapidly from its early stages to identify people who are infected and protect people who aren't. But nearly a year into the U.S. coronavirus outbreak, most of the country is still not doing enough testing. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Pardis Sabedi, an institute member of the Broad Institute of Harvard and MIT, and a professor at Harvard University and the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Dr. Sabedi has co-authored a perspective article about gaps in our testing approaches in the United States and strategies for improvement. Dr. Sabedi, could you start by explaining how diagnostic tests are usually produced and how they are usually approved for use in the United States? So there are different ways that you can seek approval for doing diagnostics. There's one called a lab-developed test. There's about 260,000 clinical labs in the United States that have already been accredited. And so they're in a position where they can set up new tests in-house, validate them, and in some cases move forward with those. In other cases, they submit that data to the FDA for approval and then can move forward with them. Early in COVID, that approval was necessary through the FDA. Later, they actually removed that need for it. But that's one step that they can move forward with. And then the other are manufactured tests. So different commercial vendors can manufacture new tests that have been validated and designed so that they could be used in a wide array of locations and people. And then those ones are, it's a higher bar because it has to be able to be used by a large number of people. But those then tests, those manufactured tests can be created, approved, and then distributed. So what kinds of testing technology exist for COVID-19 and what are the differences among the various types of tests that are available? So early in any outbreak, there aren't going to be manufactured tests, right? It takes some period of time for a commercial vendor to create a new test, really vet it, validate it, and for broad use. So there's that critical need for these lab-developed tests to be distributed quickly. And so early in any outbreak, the only way that we could be do testing is for these 260,000 clinical labs to have set up their own diagnostic capabilities in-house and start using them. What's sort of shocking in COVID is that it took some time for those manufacturers to get geared up and they still are not up to the level that they need to be at. But yet here in the United States, only 45 labs of the 260,000 sought and received FDA approval to have their own lab developed test. And then even when the FDA started to worry about this and said, you know what, no one needs to get approval, just move forward. Only about a total of about 200 labs actually set up their own PCR testing, which is a standard way that an individual could set up and validate internally their own test. And so here in the United States, we rely almost completely on manufactured tests. And the burden is, one, it takes a long time to do that R&D to get the test set up, and then they can't manufacture enough to get it to everywhere. So you're hearing months and months into the outbreak, you're hearing all these clinical labs just calling vendors, and there's not even a really good system by which they do it. It's just literally thousands and thousands of labs calling different vendors saying, where are my tests? Meanwhile, they could have been setting up their own processes, having their own agency moving forward. And at the few places that did do that, did very, very well and were able to keep up with their population's needs very easily. But that's just not what we do. And the problem is with the exponential rise of viruses, the slower we are to get set up in testing, the more cases we're going to be dealing with. And so it's this kind of multiple hits that we get in not having that agency, not having all of these different labs around the country set up and ready to go the second we hear about a new virus. So from another angle, you write in your perspective article that ideally turnaround times for COVID-19 test results would be one to two days. What is that actually looking like today? And why is that kind of rapid turnaround so important during an epidemic? Now, actually, it's something I have to explain hypothetically to a lot of people or in abstract terms. But now in COVID, 
many of us, most of us have had some sort of an exposure where we needed to find out if we were positive or not at some point. And you know that that time matters. All of that time you sit and you wait, for those who wait, it's time that you're just waiting for the results. For those who don't wait, it's time that they're out potentially infecting other people. So this turnaround time is really, really important to catch cases right away. And ideally, we get to the point where turnaround is immediate, right? And there are such tests that can give you a five, 10-minute turnaround. But more than a day, it starts getting really problematic. And on average in the United States, it's a four-day turnaround and 10% of individuals wait a week or more. And a week or more, it's like at that point, everything's already happened. It's a nice retrospective on what happened, but everything kind of that was going to happen has already happened. And so really, if it's more than a day, it starts to become no utility. And so we have to be able to move those turnarounds much, much faster. Why hasn't the United States had the capacity to test enough people and to return results quickly? Have other countries been more successful at this? Yeah, obviously the world looks to Asia and the way that it's handled this outbreak and a number of European countries and other countries have done much better. There's a number of things that we don't have. I mean, that great debate about a centralized healthcare system where Europe and other countries have that and we don't, this is the place where that becomes really useful, when people can become very, very coordinated and they can look to see where is capacity low, where is capacity higher, where can we improve. Right now, it's just no one really has a good view of what's going on. There's hundreds of thousands of these labs around the country. All of them are working pretty much in silos. You don't have a sense of where they're at. Again, it's literally each lab head calling each manufacturer saying what's going on. It's like there's just a lot of chaos. There's no centralized approach. And we weren't really getting centralized voice from the government either. So that, I mean, I think those are one of our key issues. But again, it's this idea that we're over-reliant on commercial vendors. We don't have enough agency amongst the labs. A lot of the labs, we took Germany as an example of a place where they work together and they coordinated and lots of labs set up this based on something called PCR, a very standard molecular biology tool that most high school students will learn about, but that could certainly be done in every one of these labs. And they established those. They set them up across the country. And we didn't do that. Again, about 200 out of 260,000 did. So I think that's you know, the issue. And then there's other pieces downstream of that, not just the testing, but then the process for the testing. Recently, I had to wait four hours in a line for testing. A lot of people will be deterred by that. So it's all of the pieces in place. We're just not that coordinated in the way that we work. So everything is done separately. It's a place also where we have a capitalistic market, which can work good for some things, but it can become very problematic when you have perverse incentives to overcapitalize. And now suddenly people have incentives to poor diagnostic tests, or they should put them at a really high expense. I think in some egregious examples, we saw thousands of dollars for a single test that really the reagents would cost a few dollars. And so there are a number of things, but I think like the way we distill it down is that there's not enough agency to individuals it's like over-reliance on commercialization. And then that commercial avenue has too much perverse incentives to price gouge. And then the last piece that we also talk about is prioritization of testing. So another thing that's very American is a little bit of selfishness of a little bit of, okay, well, what do I need? And so another thing that ended up happening is that in places where testing was possible, because actually you make more money testing rich people who pay more money or who can pay more money, is you started to see a lot of testing, daily testing of people who were asymptomatic. Meanwhile, their, their community surrounding them were waiting seven days to get a test when they were symptomatic or in contact with somebody with COVID. And so even when we did have testing available in some places, we also had that problem that it was not being used the right way. And we have a paper that we're working on right now that shows that if you are for an organization and that want to keep your place safe, you will do better 
doing 75% of your testing outside of your organization, supporting the local community, at least 75% of your testing outside of the organization than you would if you did 100% testing inside your organization. And that's kind of common sense. Doing a lot of tests of people who you have very low probability of having COVID is a waste, even when you have the resources to test everybody. But when you don't have the resources, when you have needs outside, it's very problematic. You argue in your article for the importance of supporting clinical laboratories in building their own tests. Could you talk about your experience in creating a laboratory-developed test? What did the process look like and what hurdles did you face? So my group has been essentially developing what we call lab-developed tests for many, many years in West Africa. We work in hospitals in Nigeria, Sierra Leone, and Senegal. And whenever an outbreak happens, we work with the teams there to set up uh, working diagnostics, validating them, getting all the proper controls in place and moving it forward. And so early during COVID, in January, we saw the alert come out that this new virus is circulating. We set up the testing in our labs. We validated it in our lab at, uh, at the Broad Institute in Boston. And then members of my team flew out to those three countries. And by early to mid-February, we had testing in all those sites. And that is something that we do kind of on a research basis, but it is very useful for surveillance. And so that was one of the ways that we were able to help during the Ebola outbreak is that we set up testing in Nigeria and Sierra Leone and our partners there confirmed the first cases in those countries. So we have that experience that we've been doing this. During COVID then, the thing was you couldn't do it in the United States because early in the outbreak, the CDC was the central funnel for testing. The tests all had to be sent to the CDC wherever in the country. Then later they were able to kind of be sent to the states and there was a little bit of a hiccup with that, but that was the process. And then later in the outbreak, essentially in March, there was this realization that they needed to allow labs to do it too. And so you had to submit to the FDA. We've been working for a very long time with Mass General Hospital. Eric Rosenberg is the head of the micro lab there and he's an author on this piece with me. And this is really born from Eric and our teams and effort in trying to set up an LDT ourselves and saying, this is something everyone should be able to do. And essentially when the FDA gave approval for labs, hospitals to set up their own diagnostics. Within a week, we had tested, validated, and put one out there and were using it. And it was so critical. I mean, Mass General was one of the first hospitals in the country to have testing on site. We quickly scaled up to hundreds of tests a day and then more. And that allowed us to help our communities and investigate the outbreak early on within our community. But it also helped MGH be in a place where they could do a remdesivir trial. They were, because they had testing on site, they could actually begin to look at even clinical treatments. And so there are a lot of downstream effects as well of having those diagnostics in place right away. Is Diagnostics, I say, is always the necessary but not sufficient. It's needed to find out who the cases are. It's needed to find out who to quarantine, how to isolate. It's needed to test treatments. And so there's so much that's important for that. So that was one of our main things. And we worked with a lot of the other hospitals as well. But Mass General, I have an appointment there. Many members of my team are there as clinical fellows and others. And so we have a really great back and forth with them. So finally, moving forward, how could federal regulators, the federal government in general, better support both test developers, testing sites, and the American population? So that's a lot of what we lay out in this piece is we talk about the fact that there needs to be a lot more support. I have tremendous respect for the CDC and the FDA, and I know what a large job that they have, and they do well with what they have, but we are all realizing that we are heavily underfunded in the space of pandemic preparedness. And the, the cost of not doing some prevention is just extraordinary amounts of life and economic loss on the other side of it. And so there should be a lot more funding to the FDA and the CDC 
to do a few things. One is to have a federal body that can regulate these lab-developed tests and to help move forward so that more labs are able to put them in place. It's not about removing the need for oversight altogether. In fact, when the FDA removed in the middle of COVID, when they removed the need for a lab-developed test to be validated, you didn't see a rush for people to do so. And one, because they still need the capacity to do so, but also because once you take off all oversight, you get more liability. If you're doing something without any oversight, you have a lot more liability. And so you need to have oversight, but you need to have a streamlined process, very well described, very straightforward, that people can go through, validate the data exactly how they need, and then move forward with their testing. So that's sort of one of the key tenets that we have is this idea that we need to have an ability to get lab-developed tests set up very, very quickly and a process that makes that easy for them. Because it's not COVID, every time any new virus emerges, there is going to be a lag of potentially many, many months before manufactured tests will come online. And that is that critical period that if you lose momentum there, if you lose pace, the virus will exponentially rise and the problem becomes you get further and further behind. And so that's that kind of first piece of really streamlining this lab-developed test process so that every time in an area or in a location you identify a new virus, you can quickly set up a new test. And then from there, it's around having either the FDA, CDC, or other organizations really shoring up that ability for them to do that. So it's not just about the regulation, it's about the training. It's, it's one thing to run many manufacturer tests. It's another thing to, to do R&D, to set up a new test and move it forward. It's something we can all do, and researchers are doing that every day in their jobs, but we need clinical labs to also have that capacity. And so we need to give more funding and more support for clinical labs to move quickly anytime they identify a new virus. And then we really need to have a better prioritization strategy, a global prioritization strategy. And I don't blame a lot of the people that did the asymptomatic testing per se. Obviously, sometimes they're egregious, but I do understand the value. It's sort of, we're scared. We've got to get back to work. Our work is important and we need to move forward. I don't think people understand that they actually do worse testing themselves and testing other people. And I see this all the time. There's a global education that we need in that. That's one of the reasons why we're working on this paper and we think it's so important that people need to understand actually it's not effective even. And so I think that we need to really double down and understand exactly how we need to do this prioritization and how we need to create a network across the country that allows us to quickly identify those people at highest risk of having a particular virus who need to be tested and need to be tested immediately. Um, if we put all those things in place, I think we would be very well positioned if a new outbreak were to emerge. Thank you, Dr. Savetti.